Hey there, it's Timmy Manor here, and welcome to the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. Joining me tonight, like he does every week, Ben Little. Okay, yep, it's good to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yes. Hey, uh, we've got a special guest this week. Uh, we've had a, a bit of a, a series of chaplains on the show, and tonight we've got another one coming all the way from Melbourne, the yes. Melbourne Storm chaplain. Um, he's worked with some great organizations in the country, but I'm so excited to have him on our program tonight. Our guest in the spirit of sport is Melbourne Storm Chaplain Grant Stewart. Grant, thanks for joining us. Ooh, welcome. No problem. Yes. Mate, welcome. Firstly, uh, and I don't know what, what side of the border you are, your heart and allegiance is on, but uh, what were your thoughts on the origin? Well, most of our guys come up Queensland way, and uh, that's generally uh, who we back who we back down here? Yeah, I know. I, I thought you were going to say that, and that's uh, why I said it <laughs> dreadfully. I um, I I've got so much admiration for uh, Billy Slater. Were you down there when Billy was there? Yeah, I was down there when he arrived, and just a young, young whippersnapper who was um, training on Guy Waterhouse's um, horses at the time. Yeah, so an apprentice jockey, really. How long have you been uh, the chaplain at the Storm? Oh, since 2000, the early 2000, yeah. Oh, you've seen it all. You would have seen it all. Um, 1999, was, there, was that their first one? Their first premiership? Yeah, that, that's the first year. When I, that's, I was talking with um, Chris Anderson at the time, and, um, yeah, it was um, yeah, interesting kind of introduction um, in the end because they uh, went on a break and then um, had a few things happen in the uh, beginning of the next year that... Um, Got me involved, and and how did that come about? Did you um, how, did you know Chris Anderson from earlier, or was it just a organic? No, no, his um, his chaplain up in up in um, Canterbury Bulldogs um, rang me and and asked if I was interested in being involved, and I hadn't had a lot to do with rugby league before. Been played union when I was younger, uh, back in New Zealand, and um, so I said I'm happy to have a chat to him. Um, I actually turned him down the first time he asked me in 98, I think it was. Yeah. Um, just arrived in Melbourne and didn't really have time to give to it. Uh, yeah, came back again, said, said he couldn't find any other um, pastors or chaplains in Melbourne that knew anything about rugby, so will I reconsider? So, did. Yeah, awesome. And you said you're from New Zealand originally? Yeah, born there, and... Uh, yeah, shipped here in '97. Whereabouts were you born in New Zealand? Uh, born in Auckland, grew up in Rotorua. Ah, uh, Rotorua. This... Yeah, I had a Maori All Black for a teacher down there. We had a pretty good rugby team that year. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, good memories. What's uh, what's the story with Rotorua? Why does it smell like that? Is it because of the uh, hot springs? It's the sulphur um, in the um, in the mud and the springs. Yeah. Smells like uh, rotten eggs. <laughs> do, you, do you get used to it when you live in there? Like, do you not notice it eventually, or does it just continue to smell? No, uh, you only notice it in some parts of town near where the thermal activity was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got used to it? Yeah. Mate, so you've been with the storm for over 20 years. A lot of, lot yeah. of ups and downs there. You were, you, you were involved in uh, Timmy Manor getting his uh, championship robbed from him. Um, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> or would you like to speak to that? 
Oh, no, we, we don't hold grudges anymore, do we? No, 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 no grudges, mate. We, we did the same thing and got a wooden spoon, so I can't, I can't complain. Just forgiveness. But what I, I, do, I am curious, though, to know the, the aftermath. So, obviously, 2010 would have been the year that um, you know, the hammer fell on the storm. Yeah. And it would have been a really challenging time, and I think that's probably the most important time when clubs lean on chaplains and, and people in that position. What, what was the, the environment like at the club then, and how, did, um, how was your role? Um, I guess engaged by the coaching staff and the players. Yeah, I did, I did spend quite a bit of time with both the, the guys and, and the staff. Um, they felt um, a fair bit of resentment that um, they were being targeted, um, as opposed to some of the other clubs involved in similar indiscretions, and mm. um, it became became a kind of a benchmark for uh, resilience, really, because. It, it was a little bit of us against them kind of feeling about it. Yeah. And so they they played most of the season for no points and won quite a few of the games. Um, yeah, it was um, quite remarkable. So that really is a benchmark for the for the club in terms of its culture and history that um, they look back to as as being quite formative in terms of character. Yeah, it's um it, w- it would have been a really challenging time and. We we went through something similar at the Club 2016, where you know there's I guess there's a bit of confusion and um, you know people obviously thinking it's not fair and um, yep. but you know you guys copped a, a real tough end of the stick. Um, you had some really good leaders in that club and and people like like Craig Bellamy and Cameron Smith and Billy Slater and Cooper Cronk and uh, did how was their leadership during that tough time and, and were they um, were they able to how were they able to guide the, the squad through that time? It, it was very much a, a kind of a closed ranks thing where um, it, it formed quite an intensity of commitment to one another mm. and support one another. Uh, so uh, it, it it actually, in the end, um, proved to be quite um, a strong period um, coming out of it for the character of the, of the club and its um, willingness to... Um, to be strongly connected to one another and and to the state, really. Face face with those challenges. What were the, um, obviously some of the guys are stepping up and speaking to it and leading. Yeah. Um, who who are some of those guys and what, what kind of stuff were they saying? Oh, uh, they 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 were talking about. Um, There's a an image they use of, of the watchtower and um, and commitment to um, to keeping watch and keeping guard and so that became a hallmark of the attitude of the team that was really a, a strong bonding experience that, that became deeply um, connected to the culture of the club mm. and uh, they um, they were determined not to let one another down and to to play for one another even when they were playing for no points um, which was quite remarkable, I thought. Yeah, and, and in the, yeah, wow. In in your day to day, what is uh what does your role look like? Are you at the club often? Um, is it once a week? Is it once a month? Like how often are you in the club and um you know, involved? I, I, I try and get in, yeah, I try and get in every week or so, um, just for an hour or two, and and time it so that um it's either before or after training, so I can connect with the guys, and I tend to spend quite a bit of time with staff as well now with 
especially the uh, welfare and wellbeing guys, um, and we work together if there are issues, and they think it might be good for me to be involved, and I've become really sort of a pastoral care um, person in the club mm. rather than um, necessarily a, a counsellor or um, yep. welfare um, side of things. But, yeah, I, I quite often... Um, get calls and asked if I chat to someone or if there's an issue um, that comes up and try and make time if I can uh, to be involved. So you work a lot with the, the wellbeing team now. How have you seen yeah. um, the, the wellbeing side of the club uh, evolve over, over your tenure? Well, when I started, there was no one. Um, there was not even a, a psychologist involved. There was a I think a referral agency you could speak to a, uh, a counsellor, but none of the guys really wanted to do that. They'd rather talk to someone they knew. Yeah. And and out of that out of that structure, gradually, I think the NRL uh, began to recognise the need for more support for the welfare of the players, and they uh, they recognised it needed to be more stru- more structured and uh, more uh, in house and and local and so we've got two great guys, um, Brian and Robbo, who have been there for quite a while. And they, um, Robbo's an ex-player, and so he knows what goes down. And they've been really marvellous, I think. Uh, and I get on well with them, and we uh, we work with each other when we have to. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it's a it's a part of the game now, which is uh, getting more and more involvement and the importance of it because. There's so much pressure on an athlete these days. There's so much um, expectation, and a lot of a lot of players aren't trained and don't understand how to deal with that. And the importance to have someone like you in, in your role to be able to lean on, um, and just like even if it's just a pastoral role where it's a pastoral care role where they just need someone to talk to or someone that can you know, assist in something that they're going through in their life is really important. Um, you you mentioned that you got signed by Chris Anderson. How, how did it work with Craig Bellamy coming in? Was he um, happy just to continue the status quo of you being there? He, he was, and I, I get on well with Craig. And over the years, I've had a fair bit to do with him. And, um, we, we have a yarn every now and then um, about the um, things that he faces in his life. And um, I've, I took a service for his um, mum when she died, and... Uh, been involved in uh, a number of situations where he sees a need for someone kind of in-house for the boys to uh, want to go to rather than bring in an outsider. And he's he's always supported um, the role and uh, yeah, never been an issue. He seems like a bit of a weapon when it comes to leadership and like cultural f- formation of the club. What are some yeah. of the... Um, things that you've seen over the years? I think it's his his biggest kind of marker, if you like, is his work ethic. Right. And, um, and he expects um, people who work with him and for him to have the same kind of approach. But he sets a marker himself and um, he's, uh, he's always willing to put in the extra effort. And um, in, in doing so, I guess he's a hard mucker in some ways, but also has a soft heart um, for the guys. Loves loves the guys 
think of thinks of them as like his sons, and mm. um, so they know that he's got their back. And if, as long as they're prepared to um, to toe the line to put in the work, um, he'll back them to the hilt. Yeah, I remember we um we uh, my my first out of origin game was his last game at State of Origin and uh, we were staying at yeah. the Pullman in, in Olympic Park and he um he actually joined us during Hillsong Conference that was on at the at Olympic Park as well and he on game day just decided to turn up and, and witness one of the um the morning sessions and yeah he's he's definitely was just um yeah there was no ju- judgment on his end he was just curious and was happy to come along and have a look and um I thought you know I left there with a lot of respect from him as a as a not only as a coach but as a person. Um you know, you would have seen a lot of a lot of ups, yeah, you know, a lot of ups and downs, but a lot of ups at, at that club. Is there is there any moments that stand out to you as you know one of your favourites that you look back on and was it like a, just a great period of time? Uh, yeah, there's probably been a, been a few um, different times. I I remember I've got to Sydney a couple of times to see grand finals, and they were, they were great times of celebration. But I think it's it's. It's more the individual stuff of of sitting down with one of the guys and helping them to find a way forward when they get stuck and uh, or in difficulty and and having the confidence and trust of, of Craig and some of the others to um, be entrusted with that pastoral care role is is quite a privilege, I think. Yeah. Now take us back all the way all to all the way back to when it started. Um, y- your faith journey. Tell us a bit about that. How you how you got into, um, you know, following Jesus? Yeah, I was um, son of a Baptist minister. And uh, so, yeah, grew up in a, in a church mansion. Um, so God's always been part of my world, really. Right. Did your so dad, was, was your dad from New Zealand or, or, or did he? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah he, he, he was and... Um, He's got an interesting background too because we found out that um, his great grandfather married um, granddaughter of the first Maori king. Oh, oh wow! And we've got that kind of line back in our in our family, and um, I didn't know about it until a year or two ago. Did the did the DNA stuff and found out I had this um, oh, connection cool. going back to Maori Pacific Island, and did the research and gee, that's interesting. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, growing up in Rotorua amongst um, a lot of the Māori um, folk where half the class was uh, Māori background, didn't know back then that I had those links myself. And so it's been a real positive thing to find out. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I've talked to some of the guys at the Storm about it and they think I'm part of their whānau now. So, <laughs> um, you you had a group of believers at the Storm at the moment. I think, um, I know Nelson's pretty vocal about his, um, his faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you guys do Bible studies? Is there any is there any um, groups there, or is it just kind of a every you know, everyone has their own their own story, their own journey, and they just stick to it by themselves outside of the club? Yeah, from time to time we've had studies. I, I remember um, the old days when we were using the Carlton grounds. Um, we used to have a study in there, and some of the guys would would sit in and would do some stuff. They they tend to um, be pretty pushed in terms of time, and I don't always have. Um, time to be there when they're available so it, it's become more kind of one-on-one conversations and support than, than set regimes now and 
I know the guys, um, the Christian guys, pray together before a game and um, are happy to have a have a chat anytime and, uh, if they've got questions or things they're wrestling with. So, yeah, my role has become probably less structured and, and more just um, as needs. Yeah, it's a... It's a, it's like I said, it's kind of that role where um, even Christians in sport in general, it's not something that, um, you know, a lot of Christians don't go around their team bashing their teammates with, on the head with a with a Bible and and telling people what to do. It's just more of, um, you know, their their own journey, their own faith, and their own walk with God. And um, I think it's the game's getting to the stage now where um, it's a lot more spoken about. I remember when I was first coming through, it probably wasn't. Um, it was it was more of a thing that people kept on the wraps and didn't want to talk about. Um, I mentioned that you know Jason Stevenson, those guys were were very vocal about their faith, and they kind of broke the ice on a lot of um, for a lot of future Christians coming through, people of faith in general, to be able to talk about their faith and be open about it. Um, over the years, you you know from not, from two thousand to now, you know that's twenty three years. Have you seen um, a movement in faith where? they have been a bit more bold, a bit more um, vocal about talking about their belief? Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is that um, you often get, um, I find I often get guys who will have a quiet word and they'll say to me kind of um, softly, you know I'm a believer. <laughs> yeah. But they don't wear their faith on their sleeve so much. Yeah. So um, there's... There's a couple. I think there's a couple of different groups. There's those who are very overt about their faith, and then there are others who are quietly believers, and that includes some of the staff. And um, so I, I treat that in confidence and um, recognise the privileges for them to to talk to me about it and uh, keep that in the back of mind when we're having conversations. Yeah. And, and what about um, moving forward? Is it, like how long do you see yourself at that club? Um, is there any is there any different developments? Does does your role change? Do you um, look to do something different, or is it just the same old? Just be consistent and being present. No, I think just being present, and I'm um, coming up to retirement age soon, and, and I could see myself staying involved. Um, it's it's all on a voluntary basis and um, as needs, and um, I think. Years ago, I had an old Monsignor who was my spiritual um, companion at the time, and he said the best definition of pastoral care is just being about. Yeah. And I always remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's the constancy of presence that, in the end, makes a difference. Yeah, a lot of our listeners um, don't have any religious background. Um, could you take a moment to explain what your um, what your role is? With with the players that are religious and not religious. Okay, it's a, a general term that they talk about pastoral care, uh, and I see it as care for everyone, no matter where they are in terms of their belief or non-belief. Right. So I try and treat everyone the same, and so pastoral care means caring for the whole of a person, including that spiritual dimension, even if they're perhaps unaware of what that means for them. Yeah. And so it's treating everyone equally, um, no matter what they believe or um, what they don't believe. Yeah. And I've had I've had some guys who have been pretty um, strong in terms of um, trying to give me a hard time and talking about the God botherers and others. And I just smile and say, yeah, that's okay. Uh, and 
funnily enough, at some stages they come back and they want to have a yarn about something important. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, mate, how do you see sport in general, though, moving forward? Is it is there anything different that can be done in terms of, um, you know, Christian athletes and their faith? Is it is it something, that you, your view, that they should be speaking about it more publicly in the media? Is it something that you think they should be saying between them and themselves? And uh, how do you see the, I guess, the public perception of faith in sport? It's been interesting watching what's happened um, recently or more recently in terms of around Israel Folau and um, yeah. his, his kind of um, statements. Yeah. And I can remember Izzy as a young guy coming down. And oh, that's right. He was been there with you. Yeah, we had a Bible study going and he was in the Mormon church at the time mm. and would sit over the side and pretend not to listen, but really <laughs> well. Yeah. And I thought, it's interesting, you can sow some seeds that you don't know when will come to fruition. And, um, and I think some of the guys did that with him over the years too. And and I, I see it that way. Um, there are some players who are more extroverted about what they believe and willing to, willing to share and, and tell their story. Others who just want to live it out and with their attitudes and with their quiet faith often have an impact as well. So um, I don't think there's one one size fits all in terms of what's needed in those settings or or really recognising that, you know, I, I remember I wrote a um, paper on this once about trying to discern where, where God is at work in those kind of environments and recognising that, that I'm not the one bringing God there, but God's already there at work. And my my place is to try and help them recognise that, and for me to see it and discern it as well. Yeah, it's um, I remember like when Izzy went through his thing as well. I just hope that it wouldn't discourage other athletes to, because you know, there's there's a there's a way to do it. But I just I really hope that other athletes wouldn't see that and be scared to speak about their faith publicly because, you know, he he got you know, obviously a pretty um, his life got turned upside down during it, and I. Yeah. Um, I remember going on, on tours with Izzy when I was in Aussie Schoolboys and, and he'd be reading those Mormon magazines and we used to always have discussions about you know each other's faith yeah. and he was always open and curious to learn more and I had so much respect yeah. for his um, I guess his, his curiosity and, and, and eagerness to learn more about faith um, do, you, do you see I guess you know so, look, if you look at his situation and what he went through is there anything that you would have spoken about that would have been different or should have been handled differently yeah, I, I'm not sure he had very good advice in how he went about it in yeah. the end. Yeah, and it was at it was at the time when I think um, they were looking for a scapegoat in some ways to try and make a point. Yeah, and, and he became um, yeah, fodder for that. I think in in many ways, and I, I hope it hasn't dissuaded others who are believers to. Um, to be bold and to uh, recognise that it's a time to speak and a time to be quiet, and uh, yet we aren't um, amongst those who are ashamed of what we believe. We uh, we recognise the importance of faith in all aspects of our life. Yeah. Mate, your your friend George Danzi uh, has been on the show before. He's a uh, you know Parramatta faithful. 
He yep. has, he's put you in. He said, he said, you've got a heroic story. Now, mate, you've, oh, got, you've, you've, you've got to tell us. Now, it's a, it's, he's set a high bar, but you, you've got to fill us in. What's he talking about? <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure which part he's talking about. Um, oh, there's so many. Probably, <laughs> yeah, it, it might have been. It might have been the very start. Um, I remember writing an article for a paper on um, in at the deep end um, because um, what happened was I was due to meet with Chris Anderson to, to come and meet the guys and, and and to talk to him about what he expected or whatever, and listening to the news early that morning before I was due to go in, I heard about um, the Storm's team manager, Mick Moore, who had been drowned the night before, skylarking on Auckland Wharf when they were over there for a game. Oh, wow. And so I rang Chris and said, uh, listen, do you want to... I heard what happened. Um, they just arrived back on flight that morning. I said, do you want to make another time? He says, no, 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 come in. And so I went in and they were in the old Greyhound rooms at Amy Park um, before the stadium was built, I think, or maybe, yeah, I'm not sure, but it was underground and going down these um, stairs, meeting these guys a bit um, jet-lagged and tired after flying back that morning, mm. and they were all sitting around in a half circle. And I remember Chris saying to them, he said, we pride ourselves on being a tough club but we've got to acknowledge there's a soft side to us too, and this is the guy who's going to help us through it. He hadn't actually asked me if I wanted to, but um, that's my introduction to the team. And then he threw me a set of training gear. He says, come and, come and train with the guys or get to know you. I said, well, what exactly are they doing? <laughs> Any tackle work? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I ended up in a spin session in a gym in Richmond sitting next to... Uh, a very large Papua New Guinea winger called Marcus Bai. Oh, yes. Who um, smiled at me for an hour and a half as we spun these bikes together. And I thought, that's that's an interesting start. Going <laughs> <laughs> front of ministry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Marcus Bai, I remember him. He, um, he was a good player. Melbourne has just had a, always had a culture of developing good players with good people as well. Like a lot of the people that come through the system have always just seemed more mature, more um, more level-headed. And, you know, and Billy Slayer is a great example of that. We, I talk about Billy at the start of the show and, and watching him in the coach's box yeah. during Origin, especially after game one when they you know, had a really dramatic finish of the game and they won. Any other coach is, you know, he's animated and excited. And he just seemed so relaxed and chilled. He knew it was just business and that's get ready for the next game. Um, you know, we, we speak about the big three, especially, you know, Cooper Cronk, Billy Slater and... and and uh, Cameron Smith, was there any traits that you saw in them from a young age that you knew they were going to be the players they became? Like, was there any um, characteristics you noticed? I, I, it was interesting watching them come down. They all came down with slightly different um, backgrounds. I mean, Billy is just a natural athlete. Um, Cam Cam Smith called himself the accountant. <laughs> you know, he, um, he, he reckons he was just, you know, um, not an athlete like the others, he was just loved loved the game. And then Cooper was the one that probably had to work hardest at his game. He wasn't a natural necessarily at, at um, some of the uh, skills needed, but gee, he had a good work ethic mm. and uh, just 
made himself to be who he was um, through sheer will and determination. So, so they, yeah, they came with quite different um, aptitudes, I think, um, but just also became good mates. Um, and it was like watching a local backyard game of footy when they were training because they, they got to know each other so well. They, they knew what each other was going to do. And I think that was part of that legacy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was playing a game once in Melbourne and we were at Amy Park. We scored first. So I'm, I'll, that's a disclaimer. We scored first, but we lost 64 <laughs> <laughs> um, 4. So, so we're losing by 60, and there's only there's probably about a minute and a half to go, and, and Melbourne are attacking our line again. And Billy Slater, yeah. Slater dropped the ball, attacking our line. And I remember watching Cameron Smith and Billy Slater absolutely tear shreds and spray him, telling him off for dropping the ball. And I was packing the scrum, just shaking my head, thinking these guys are winning by 60, and they're still demanding yeah. perfection. And, and that said a lot about their culture they had and, and the kind of leadership that they had yeah. with those boys. Yeah. They, they just demanded perfection. It was just a real eye-opener for me to get a glimpse of you know what kind of people and players they were. Yeah, they, they certainly had that of each other. And, and I think part of the genius of the team over the years has been that um, they play for each other so well. Mm. Um, and Craig has always said, you know, you do your role and your mate will do theirs and that's all we expect of you. And uh, so that's been part of the culture for a long time. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mate, with your last 20 years, you would have spent a lot of one-on-one time with a lot of the different players and staff and you would have seen, seen different uh, trends in um, certain issues that, that individuals are going going through. Um, generally speaking, uh, what, what are some of the big themes at the moment that, that you think people are dealing with the last few years? Yeah, I, I don't know whether it shifts over the years. I think um, a lot of it is around, is around relationships and obligations. Yeah. So um, the guys all feel pretty much they're in a system that demands a lot of them. And they you can watch them when they come down and you can see the ones that are going to understand that and and know that they have to aim up to make it work. It's not no longer just natural ability or ball skills. It's it's willingness to work hard. And, and I think that's been part of what Craig has instilled over the years. Yeah. Commitment to one another and commitment to a work ethic that's willing to go the extra mile. Yeah. Do the players before they arrive get any um, notice that that's the kind of culture that they're they're headed into? Like, are they ready for it? I don't. Yeah, I don't know whether they recruit anyone who they don't think is ready for it. Yeah, right. So, their their recruitment has has been yes, they look at a guy's skill set, but much more than that, they look at background, family, character, those yeah. kind of things. Yeah. Will they will they fit into our culture? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, which is so, so yeah. yeah. Sorry, that's just such a, a shout out to young people, isn't it? That it's not just all about the skills; it is about the character, the decision making. Um, you know how how you handle yourself in life. Oh, and it's a, it's a, you could tell the good clubs get it right. Mm. The good clubs they don't get um, starstruck with the talent and the, and the stars and the, the ability of the player. They get the good clubs sign people based on character and it makes a difference culturally yeah. and successfully. And Melbourne have nailed yeah. it for so long. And that, that's one of Craig's mantras is that um, he um, he would be adamant that there are probably 
more skilled players that they could have recruited over the years. Yeah. But they they didn't think they were the kind of person they wanted in the club. Yeah. They don't not very often wrong to be fair. Um, Frank um, and others who have been part of that system are, are pretty good at marking out who they think will work in their mm. system. I know I've read in Legacy as well, but the All Blacks had a similar kind of concept as well. Where they, it wasn't yep. just about the, the talent of the, of the athlete; it was about you know, will they fit in this culture? And and you know, the reason why they were such a dominant force for so long is because of the characters they had in that team. And um, it's I wonder if there's been any case studies about it. But the the relation between um, you know characters off the field and, and the ability for teams to be successful on the field is linked incredibly. Yeah. There is some research. I remember listening to a, a guy who did a uh, doctoral thesis around that, yep. that very issue, and, and he said that was the that was the key thing. Uh, was was character, uh, and you could teach other things. Uh, yeah. yeah, very interesting, mate. Every every week on the Spirit of Sport, we dedicate and we we platform one minute of um, time to to the 60-second blitz with blitz. <laughs> now, this is 60 seconds where I'm just going to rapid-fire questions at you and you've just got to answer the first thing that comes to your head, okay? Okay. You go to a Chinese restaurant, what are you ordering? Uh, certainly dim sims. Oof. Oof. Now, you have to go yeah. out. Yeah, you, ha- you have to go out and exercise. You've put your shoes on. What's your exercise of choice? Uh, it's been running for a long time, but um, yeah, I've done Masters Athletics for the last few years. That's, okay. that's probably where I'm at with it. Brilliant. What's your event? Uh, yeah, well, I, I ran distance for a long time, but went back in the Masters as um, a sprinter and long jump and um, competed in some of the events around Australia. Nice. It's quite fun. Nice. Um, now, on your day off, what's your what's your favourite thing to do? Uh, I, yeah, I sometimes go for a bike ride um, or um, go get a coffee, but now I've got a good coffee machine, I don't do that so much. Yeah, when you say a bike ride, are you talking uh, push bike or motorbike? Or uh, trail bike? Used to be, used to be motorbike, um, but um, yeah, sold that a few years ago when I realised I didn't have quite the reactions I needed to do right. an old BMW around the track. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, mate, you go to the movies. You can pick two sn- two snacks from behind the bar. What are you What are you picking? <laughs> uh, yeah, I like the choc tops. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'd probably get two of those. Oh, you just yeah. get two. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. I like it. Now, mate, uh, do you have a favourite movie that stand out over the years? Uh, I think yeah, Shawshank Redemption's always been a favourite. Yeah. Geez, that was good. Yeah, that yeah. was a good movie. Anyone you'd like to meet if you could get the chance? Yeah, uh, I'd like to, yeah. Uh, does it have to be living? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not necessarily, no. AI has uh, kicked in and, you know, you can do yeah. anything these days. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know um, some of my ancestors on that Maori side. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Now, listen, last one. Um, You've you got a holiday destination. You can go anywhere with your friends and family. Where are you going? Uh, Bay of Islands. Yeah, 
in New Zealand. Oh, oh, yes. keeping it local, keeping yes. it home. Love the New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> well, mate, honestly, we're very grateful for your time. It's um, it's incredible to see that the work that you chaplains have done. Yes, thank you. Uh, our series with all the chaplains has been great, and. I don't think people understand the importance of that role in the club, but you've um you've been there for 23 years at a club that's had so much success, um and you know I think the Storm would be obviously so grateful for what you've done for them. But as a as a believer, I'm also grateful for uh, you know you, you planting your, your flag in that club and and making sure that people uh, understand that there's there's someone there if they need it, and um, I really appreciate all that you've done um, for the Storm, but also for Christian athletes in general, mate. Thank you so much, Grant. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Pleasure. Have a great one. Cheers.